0: Proverbs chapter two, reading the first 15 verses. The value of wisdom. My child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your air attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you indeed cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, came knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk blamelessly, guarding the paths of justice, and preserving the way of his faithful ones then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul prudence will watch over you and understanding will guard you It will save you from the way of evil for those who speak perversely, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, those whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Matthew chapter 13, reading 1st verses 34 to 35, then 44, and then 51 to 53. The use of parables. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Then verses 51 to 53 treasures new and old. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. When Jesus had finished these parables, He left that place. Thanks be to God for his word.
1: This is uh, one of our little series of sermons that we're having at the moment, going through the parables of the kingdom from Matthew chapter 13. We're coming back to these on Communion Sundays. And those of you who've been journeying with us over the last few months, you may remember uh, on our church anniversary Sunday last time we looked at uh, the parable of, of the yeast in dough, or the parable of the virus, as we, or the rust, as we may have come to think of it. And we've looked at the parable of the, uh, the mustard seed, and today we get to the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. And here's a question arising, I think, from our Gospel reading this morning. What is it that sparks joy in your life? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. And if you think you've heard this idea before of giving things up or away to increase the joy you have in your life, Maybe you've been watching or reading Marie Kondo. Con Marie, as she is known, is an organising consultant. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, I'm getting a few nods. Some of you have been watching her on YouTube or Netflix or whatever. Uh, In addition to demonstrating nifty ways of folding your underwear, she is probably best known for helping people declutter their houses and lives. Her mantra is very simple. It is that we should learn to discard everything in life that does not spark joy. In her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, we need to get this, Liz. In her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, she offers some words of wisdom for those of us who are possession obsessives. And I think her words carry strong echoes of what Jesus might be saying to us this morning through his little parable of the treasure in the field. In many ways, each of these quotes is a mini parable in itself, helping us understand the one told by Jesus. So KonMari says, The question of what you want to own is actually the question of how you want to live your life. She says, No matter how wonderful things used to be, we cannot live in the past. The joy and excitement we feel here and now are more important. She says, Keep only those things which speak to your heart, then take the plunge and discard all the rest. She says, there are two reasons we can't let go, an attachment to the past or a fear of the future. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field." Well, I'm just gonna leave these up on the screen for the rest of the sermon so if you get bored with me you can always reread her wisdom. I think it would be good for us to have them in our minds as we think further about what Jesus was getting at in his parable of the treasure hidden in the field and the first thing I want us to address is the tension between sacrifice and joy. You may have noticed Christians often talk about sacrifice. And when we do, it's usually couched in terms which seem to suggest that giving something up has to hurt in some way in order for it to be properly sacrificial. You get this sometimes, for example, if we're talking about money. And people might suggest that for our giving to be sacrificial, it has to involve going without something. We have to notice the loss. Simply giving out of our surplus or our loose change is not generally regarded as sacrificial giving. And whilst there is something in this, I do agree that a sacrifice ought to make a noticeable difference. I think Jesus' parable offers us a way of looking at things where sacrifice is joyful rather than painful. I'm not sure that it's true to say, as far as sacrifice is concerned, that if it ain't hurting, it ain't working. I don't think that's it. What if giving it all up for the kingdom of heaven is not a self-flagellating, hair-shirt kind of experience, but is rather a shedding of those things in life that sap joy and keep us from the greater joy of the coming kingdom. What if sacrificing to achieve the kingdom is a joyful experience, not a joyless one? Think for a moment of the story of Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler, which, uh, if we read on in Matthew's Gospel, we would find just a few chapters later in chapter 19. This particular young man wants to know what he must do to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus tells him to keep the commandments. And the young man says he's been doing that since his childhood. Jesus then says to him, well, if you wish to be perfect... Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. When the young man heard his word, Matthew tells us, he went away grieving for he had many possessions. This young man, the rich young ruler, had become so addicted to his things that he couldn't let go of them to experience the greater joy of following Jesus. And the tragedy of this is that for all his wealth, he went away desperately sad, he went away grieving. He couldn't bear the loss of his possessions, and so he lost the joy of the kingdom that he had been striving for since his childhood. And it's worth us taking a moment for some personal reflection about the relationship we have to our things. Some of us have many things which we've accumulated over a lifetime. Some of us are hoarders and grieve the very thought of letting some of it go. I'm like that with books. Some of us worry all the time about money and possessions because we don't have enough and because we're scared of poverty. And some of us have practically nothing to call our own. And we don't know where our security for the future will ever be found. And I wonder what it would mean for us, wherever we sit on that spectrum of ownership, to hear Jesus saying that there is always a greater treasure to be found in the kingdom of heaven than any which we might strive for in other ways through our lives. We carry the burden of belongings with us. Whether it's the burden of too much or the burden of too little, we carry with us these burdens of guilt and fear, burdens of inadequacy and low self-esteem, and these burdens weigh us down and they sap the joy of our lives and they weary us with their heavy loads. And I wonder what joy there may be to experience in letting go of the burdens that we carry. What would it be like for us to let go, to declutter, to shed our physical, financial and emotional burdens? Do you remember the story of Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan? If you want to see a nice statue of John Bunyan, just take a little walk up towards uh, up towards. Uh, old Southampton Row hang a left get to the old Baptist house there's a nice statue of him on the front was he a Baptist well we don't know but we'll claim him anyway Bunyan says in Pilgrim's Progress now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go up this way therefore did burdened Christian run but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble, and so continued to do until it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell in and I saw it no more. Then was Christian good, gladsome and lightsome. And with a merry heart, he stood still a while to look and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. He looked therefore and looked again, even till the springs that were in his head sent waters down his cheeks. Christian literally cries with joy that the burden he has carried through his life is lifted from him and falls into a grave never to be seen again. Or you may remember the scene in the film The Mission, where the slave trader Mendoza, played by Jeremy Irons, takes three days to climb the Agrasu Falls, carrying a heavy load, a sack containing the swords and the armour and the weapons that symbolise his old life. And when he finally makes it to the top, the Guarani people, who he had previously killed and enslaved, are waiting for him. But instead of killing him, they cut the load from his back and push it off the cliff towards the river, releasing him from the guilt and pain of his former life. For Mendoza, joy is found in receiving forgiveness and releasing the burden of a life lived in the selfish pursuit of power and wealth. So when Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I wonder what it is that you have, that I have, that we, that I need to let go of, to get rid of in order to obtain the joy of the kingdom of heaven. What am I carrying? What, what are you carrying that saps the joy of life? And what about us as a church? What is it that we are carrying and accommodating in our life together that saps us of our collective joy of the kingdom? For some of us, it will be our middle-class guilt, our concerns about the state of the world, our inability to solve all of the problems before us, let alone those in places further afield. For others of us, the hurts and harms of the years intrude on our community life together, keeping us from loving one another and trusting each other with the deep mysteries of our hearts. Here's a question. How do you feel when you come to church? Do you feel joyful? I ask this not to make anyone feel any more guilty. This isn't a kind of be joyful or else sermon. But if you don't feel joyful when you contemplate coming to your church it might be worth paying attention to why not. What are you carrying? What are we together carrying that is sapping the joy of the kingdom of heaven? What do we need to let go of to release from our lives and our life together to discover the deep joy of the treasure of the kingdom of God? But there is more to this parable than an invitation to joyful living. Profound, though that may be. There is something here about the very nature of the kingdom itself, which is that it is an activity, not a thing. The kingdom of heaven is a verb, not a noun. It is discovered through the action of doing, not through a state of possessing it. You see, Jesus' little parable is not actually a parable about the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is not like a valuable but hidden thing. Rather, what the kingdom is like is the behavior of the finder. The kingdom is active, not passive. It is seeking and finding, it is asking and receiving, it is knocking and being answered. The kingdom is about behavior. It's a way of life to be enacted. And all too often, we reduce the kingdom of heaven to a thing. We make the kingdom the treasure, not the action of discovering the treasure. Think for a moment about your most precious thing. What would you rush back to save from a burning building? Would it be your photographs? Something else of great sentimental value, I wonder what the equivalent would be for you in terms of your experience of the life of faith. What do you most struggle to contemplate letting go of in your faith journey? For some of us, it will be a particular theological or ethical conviction We just cannot imagine faith if we no longer believe that. For some of us, it will be a specific way of encountering God. We just cannot see how God can be met unless I can do this. For some of us, it will be a particular style of building, or a style of worship, or a way of praying or a particular community, or whatever. Well, however much these things mean to us, however valuable they are to us, we must never make the mistake of thinking that they are the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is not the treasure. The kingdom is the act of finding the treasure. And it is is the joy that overrides all our other passions and desires as we relentlessly pursue that which we've discovered. Have you found yourself wondering yet just what this treasure was doing in the field in the first place? Whose was it originally? Why was it buried there? Well, I don't know about you, but I don't make a particular habit of burying my precious things in the ground, and if I did, I wouldn't tell you. However, in many places around the world, the only way to keep treasure safe is to bury it, in the hope that thieves and invading armies will pass over and leave the wealth behind that can be retrieved later. And, of course, many of the great treasure hoards that have been discovered in this country and around the world owe their origin to someone burying them to keep them safe and then never returning to retrieve their property. We have complex treasure trove laws which govern what happens when someone finds treasure in a field. And it balances the claims of the finder and the landowner and the crown depending on the age of the hoard and the intent of the person who buried it in the first place. Well, it seems that in the first century, the law was rather more straightforward, and it wasn't a simple case of finders' keepers. Rather, the treasure in the field belonged to the person who owns the field, which is why the person has to buy the field before retrieving the treasure. Otherwise, they could have been accused of theft. Now, the dubious morality of buying the field without telling the owner what's in it isn't part of the story as Jesus tells it. And I'm going to suggest we probably shouldn't make too much of that. Some of the commentaries really try, and I think they fail. Rather, Jesus uses the story to make his point about giving things up in order to enter into the joy of acquiring the kingdom. But there is something important here about the hiddenness of the treasure that I think it's worth reflecting on a little bit further. You may remember hearing me use the term realized eschatology before. This is the idea that the future hope that we have is realized in the present of today. It's when the future breaks into the here and now. What this means is that instead of living for some future time, when wrongs will be righted and sins will be forgiven, we instead discover the joy of what it means to live in the present world, the truth of that which we hope for. What does it mean to live now as if our sins are forgiven? And if we want to apply this way of thinking to the treasure hidden in the field, we get a perspective on the kingdom of heaven where it is already present in the world. Just awaiting discovery, awaiting recognition of its value and the radical action that its discovery deserves. By this way of understanding it, the kingdom of heaven is not some future state that we enter into when we die or in some age to come. Rather, it begins here and now. It is within us. It is amongst us. It's hard to see because it is hidden. But when we find it, it puts all the other treasures of our lives into perspective. Too often, Christianity is negative about the here and now. Many Christians write off today as relatively unimportant compared to the focus on a future of promised glory. Too often Christianity has become about saving people from some imagined hell in the hereafter rather than about saving people from the very real hell of the tragedy and trauma of their life in the present and I think Jesus told his little story of a treasure hidden in a field to announce the presence of the kingdom in the very physical stuff of this present world. The kingdom is not future. It's there, just, just there, you know, in, in the field. Overlooked by most, but you don't have to dig very deep to discover it. And Jesus' parable is is told to encourage people to seek the kingdom, to experience the joy of discovery, so that then the radical action that that discovery requires becomes what they do next, and that is where the joyful reorientating of life occurs. Entering with Jesus into the kingdom of heaven is a life lived today and here and now. It is a process that releases us from our burdens. It is something that sparks great joy in our lives. So how do we do this? What does this look like in practice? For the rich young man who was addicted to all the things he'd had since his childhood, it would have meant selling all that he had and giving it to the poor, and he couldn't bring himself to do that. For some of us, it will mean letting go of things that have been precious to us to discover the greater treasure that lies in wait for us. For some of us, it will be receiving release from burdens that we've been carrying and the discovery of a life of lightness and joy experienced in forgiveness. For some of us, it will be about the renewal of our relationships and the restoration of the joy of the community that we belong to. And none of this is going to happen by accident. The person in the parable took decisive action once they discovered the treasure to ensure that it was theirs eternally. And we too may need to take action. We may need to take decisions about our priorities in our lives. We may need to decide to give things up. We may need to declutter our physical and our emotional lives. Jesus said to the disciples, Therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household, who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The kingdom of heaven doesn't happen by accident. It happens as we train ourselves for it. We are the scribes in training for the kingdom. (coughs) We learn from the wisdom of our tradition, and we creatively bring that to bear on the here and now of this world. And so we come, at last, to our reading from the book of Proverbs which is always a good place to go hunting for treasure. My child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you indeed cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. So let us listen carefully for wisdom. Let us open our hearts to understanding. Let us cry out for insight and let us treasure the commands of God. These are the prescription for a life of joy. And through them comes the joyful fruit of righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. This truly is treasure beyond price and is worth seeking with all of our hearts. So let us bring the needs of the world before God. Let us pray. Great God of all love, all compassion, all hope and all joy, we come before you today mindful of the needs of others and longing that your gospel of justice and peace would be good news for all people in all places. And yet we know that there is so much still to do. We know that darkness lurks, that human hearts remain turned from you, that there are many who suffer because people of faith remain inactive or silent. We are particularly grieved when we think that there are those who long to know your redeeming and transforming presence in their lives, but who are kept from you by the very people who bear your name. And as we consider the ways in which we welcome people into this community of your people here in London, we ask for your forgiveness for those times when our actions or inactions have caused people to be turned away from finding you in and through us. Give us a desire to live differently, to welcome all in your name, and a hope that transcends despair. Sometimes when we consider the needs of a hurting and damaged world, it can feel as though we're weighed down with the responsibilities we've taken upon ourselves. The task before us feels too great, and the efforts we make too insignificant. So we ask that you will restore us to the joy of our salvation. May we rediscover in you the lightness of living that drew us to you in the first place, and which continues to draw others into your love, forgiveness and renewal. May your people in this place be beacons of light and hope, Discovering joy in the midst of despair, comfort in the face of grief and faith that transcends all discouragements. And it is in this spirit of hope that we pray for the needs of the world. Confidence that you are at work in the world and through your people, bringing new life and resurrection hope. And so we pray for those who live in other countries particularly those impacted by the effects of climate change or war. We think of those who have lost their homes to floods, those who have been displaced by armies and ideologies, and those who do not have enough to eat. We pray for aid agencies and peacekeeping forces as they seek to bring help and alleviate suffering. We pray for and thank you for Christian Aid and the work they do on our behalf. And we think particularly of their current appeal to help those affected by extreme weather in South Asia, Southeast Africa and Indonesia, bringing relief to millions who desperately need food and shelter. We pray for those who have lost their homes to the fire in India. May our love for you drive us to a concern for others that takes action in prayerful generosity. As we think of the political crisis facing our own country, we recognise the need for finding a way forward that safeguards the most vulnerable. We pray for our political leaders and we ask that they will not lose sight of the impact of their decisions, particularly on those of low income for whom any economic downturn or reduction in benefits will be catastrophic. And we thank you for the work done by Christian churches in this country to speak truth to power. We thank you for the way in which Your people feed the hungry and clothe the poor. And we thank you for the way in which we are then able to hold before our national leaders and decision makers the needs of those who may not have a voice to speak for themselves. So we thank you for the Baptist Union, for the work of the Faith and Society team, for the Joint Public Issues team as they advocate on our behalf on issues of justice. And we pray particularly for our General Secretary, Lynn Green. We ask that you will give her stamina and joy and peace. And finally, Lord, we pray for ourselves. Help us as individuals and as a church to know what it is to live into being the joyful good news of your inbreaking kingdom may we learn to love one another more. And may we learn to love you more. And from our sharing in love, may we be motivated to take action together as faith becomes deeds, to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. All this we pray in the name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.